welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to this edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be uh, talking about something that, as all of you know, is ne- near and dear to my heart as the terrorist therapist. Um, we, As we're approaching the um, 17th anniversary of 9-11, I have a special guest. Her name is Lisa Luckett. She is a 9-11 widow a mother, and the author of a new book called The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. Now, you know, one of the things that um, I've been noticing with each 9-11, with each anniversary, uh, there is a tendency in America, <laughs> which is the primary place where we would, where we would be commemorating 9-11, there is a tendency to um, have less and less of a commemoration. And this is a very troublesome um, situation. You know, uh, some people have said, well, this is the 17th anniversary. It's not the 15th or the 10th or the 20th. That's an excuse. It, ca- it can't be stressed m- too much how important it is for us to not only commemorate the victims and the victims' families, but also to remember that 9-11 was not uh, perpetrated by two pilots who were lost or drunk and they happened to fly into the Twin Towers, but by terrorists, people who are still out there looking to uh, how to create another 9-11 or many, many 9-11s. And that is something that we can't forget. So welcome to the show, Lisa. Um, your book looks amazing. Again, it's called The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. So welcome. Thank you. Hello, Dr. Carol. It's so nice to be here today. Thanks for having me. Now, why don't we just start at the beginning? Well, actually, let's start a little before 9-11 so that you can tell us how your life was <laughs> Before that fateful day when you were minding your own business and uh, and living a nice life. So I'm going to refer to the book here a little bit because sure. the, the story that I've told is about, in response to your introduction here today, about commemorating the 17th anniversary and each year it kind of diminishing more and more. Um, maybe it's not about keeping the fear and the terror alive as much as it's about seeing how we heal from trauma, that my book is really about healing from trauma and about choosing to see the light in all of our struggles and that there's incredible healing in kindness and love and that my experience of 9-11 was I was actually healed by the kindness of strangers. Uh, which is why there's this book and two more that follow that will ultimately explain the story. So to answer your question, uh, the morning of 9-11, I was a 40, just turned, I just turned 41. I have a birthday in early September. And I was a four-month 
I had a four-month-old, of which I was nursing. I had a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I was utterly, completely miserable with postpartum depression. And my husband and I had this unexpected 40th year pregnancy of our little one. And the third child, you know that there's, um, you know what you're in for, that there's no rose-colored glasses anymore about the fantasy of motherhood and fatherhood. It's, it's a mm-hmm. rough road, and uh-huh. especially with three. So uh-huh. the answer, like, you know, as, we, as I warmed into 9-11, I was not in a good place. And mm-hmm. um, there was a lot that, that built up in my, our families at that time that by the time I was in my, you know, 40, 41 years old, um, we, you know, it, was, it wasn't a smooth, it wasn't smooth. It was a rough time of life. And um, that's why 9-11 for me that morning um, ended up being this catalyst. Um, this, this trauma served as a catalyst to project me so far out of the box I had been trying to fit into that I had this, I experienced this remarkable personal growth. I lost my soulmate, the love of my life, the father of my children, my best friend. But I, I had an incredible spiritual transcendental experience the morning of 9-11 that showed me a completely new way to be. So that's why there's a book in this story and a brand of kindness that came out of it. Uh-huh. Um, well, I agree with you. Before we continue with your story, I just want to tell you that, yes, of course, I agree with you in terms of uh, healing. Um, I just, um, and, and it seems like maybe you don't know, but I, this year uh, I had a book that came out called Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. And it's all about helping children heal. Well, help, adults have told me it's been helping them heal too. But it's all about how to talk to kids about terrorism and how to build resilience in families and classes and so on. So I am all for uh, healing. I just don't want people, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know if, if you've um, come across this, but you probably, I'm sure you have actually, um, that there's a lot of denial in our society. People want to pretend that 9-11 didn't happen or that it happened, but, but we want to move on. And, yes, not so much, I mean, yes, we want to move on to heal, but, I mean, we want to move on to, to think that nothing like this could ever happen again. Have you come across well, that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I want to say, you and I spoke a couple of years ago on the 15th anniversary, and it was a very helpful time that we shared that conversation. And you had just, or were just writing your book, lions and tigers and bears, and I remember thinking how charming and how thoughtful that was as a title and to be addressing, you know, terrorism in this, in this way that we, you know, we need to offset, what, what is terrorism? Terrorism's weapon is fear. So how do we offset fear but by doing the opposite, right? That's our, really our only weapon is to not be afraid. And how do we yes. not be afraid, right? We have to learn to appreciate life as we have it right in this very moment and to live in this very moment, right? Because we can't affect the future. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, for 9-11, Teddy, my Teddy was, my husband's name was Chad. He, 9-11 was his heart attack or his car accident or his cancer diagnosis. 9-11 was how he died. You know, the, one of the strange things in my story is that his mother prepared me for his death 
in the most twisted way because every time I saw her, she worried to me out loud that he was going to die of a heart attack. So was, he, was there some was he overweight? That, was there some uh, some particular a reason? little bit? She was just she had lost a husband early. She was kind of a worrier and kind of a little masochistic, kind of a little sadistic. You know, she just kind of liked to twist it up. And he had high cholesterol, not, you know, natural producing high cholesterol. And he was overweight a little bit and had a very stressful job. We had just, we were in a stressful time in our life and our family. Our family, both his and mine, were, you know, not helping our situation. And, you know, so, but that 10 years we were married, 11 years that, she reminded me literally every time I saw her that uh, he was going to die. It made me hmm. run his death through my mind literally hundreds of times, Dr. Carroll. And here's what my answer is. You can actually get yourself just as worked up at the idea of an event happening mm-hmm. as the event itself. And that is what happened to me. So the other piece that prepared me for 9-11, which makes my story unique again, is that Teddy walked down in the first bombing in 1993 from the 105th floor because he worked for that company for 10 years. And that took four and a half hours of a slow march. And you want to talk people rushing it under the rug? Nobody paid any attention to it. They went Mm -hmm. back into those buildings two months later. Mm -hmm. You know, so I dealt with terrorism then. I was angry, so angry, six months after the 93 bombing. You could have peeled me off the ceiling. The second time they hit, I never felt that anger again. Because they went in knowing they were going into a target. We knew. We knew. Subconsciously, consciously, we knew. And the guys would joke, ah, ha, ha, we're going to have a parachute in our desk. Ah, ha, ha, we're going to have gas masks. Oh, we're going to go to the roof next time. Next time, really? <laughs> was anyone mm-hmm. listening to themselves? So, did you ever try you know, to, so, did, you, did you try to tell him, did you, try, did you try to stop him from working there after the first time? No, not particularly. You know, they, everybody was so cavalier. Our country is, was yeah. very cavalier at the time, which is book two, basically. So, so what I've written in this first book is a memoir of my experience, and in the, the, with the purpose being it's not a book about 9-11. It's a book about healing from trauma and about choosing to see your life in a different way, just shifting the perspective on how we see things. So the operative phrase being instead of, things happening to you, they are actually happening for you. So the prompt is instead of, wow, why me? Why is this happening to me? You say, wait a minute. Why is this happening for me? What am I being shown? What am I supposed to learn here? So when we talk about the 17th anniversary, what I'm hoping, and now it's been long enough that I can even have this conversation with you or anyone that's on a positive or potentially different note, is that what have we learned from it? Because the more we learn around it, the more we offset the terrorists win. Because when we get smarter around it, we build the muscle of resilience around it, then the fear will dissipate. Because it is coming again in some form or fashion by nature or by man, by, by a shooter in a school, by a hurricane, you know, it's everywhere. So trauma is the, bottom, is the common denominator, not how it's coming. Yes, absolutely. Now, well, t- tell us um, a little bit about that day. I mean, I was asking, what kind of work did you did you work before um, 9-11? I did. I had a, well, I, I had 
quote unquote retired from my job seven years prior. Um, no, not five years, four, four or five years. I was in uh, national radio advertising sales. So I sold radio advertising for 15 years in New York and around the country, which was a lot of fun. And Ted and I met in New York both as salespeople. So we had a really fun um, courtship in the 80s. So in like the, it was just the, the epitome of the 80s, yuppie, upward, you know, young, upward uh-huh. mobile professional, you know, running around New York and with big shoulder pads and pleated you know, uh-huh. linen <laughs> skirts and the whole thing. It was a lot of, we had a great time. And then, um, so yeah, and then we moved to New Jersey from New York where it's back to the area I grew up in on the North, North Jersey coast um, and when our daughter was two and a half and I was pregnant with our middle son. And, you know, just yeah, raising kids in New York is hard. And, you know, I wanted them to be able to run around in their bare feet in the grass. And, you know, so it all worked out for us to move actually back to where I grew up, which was uh-huh. kind of a surprise in itself. Um, but it was, it's a nice place to raise kids. And, you know, we, we did a, we, we had, we, Teddy was only here with me for four and a half years. But the community around me in the little town we moved back to held me and sustained me and does until this day. I mean, to this day, I am absolutely cared for by the village. And Uh the story and how I got to this place was the morning of 9-11, I, because I was prepared in this bizarre way to having had Ted walk down the first time and having his mother tell me he was going to die all the time, what happened? I I prepared myself for his death, Carol. Mm -hmm. Literally... After the first couple hours of the initial shock after the building fell, I was a nursing mother of a four-month-old. Nature isn't going to let you go down. Like, you're, I was a mama lion. All I cared about were my kids. Like, I had to get my kids through this. And both sets of our sides of our family had had bad experiences with death. And so I watched how it had been done in the generation and my, you know, my in-laws who were my age and the kids that had never gotten past the victimization of losing their father on Ted's side. And on my, my father's side, he never got over his own father's death, you know, to generation before that. So I had actually in the two families, not only did they, was I prepared for Ted's death, but they gave me the roadmap of how not to do it. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't going to let my little children with their entire lives ahead of them live with negativity and victimization. We were going to take Teddy with us forward, and we did, mm-hmm. and that just happened. But nobody else was doing it with me. I wasn't, people weren't, like, charging, like, yay, 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 keep going. I was, I put this into full, I put myself into full psychoanalytic analysis to figure it out. Because the only way I could offset the terrorists and make sure that Ted and all the others did not die in vain was to make something good come from this. And the uh-huh. only way I could figure I could do it was to figure it out, it meaning everything. Now, I have figured out a lot. Have I figured out everything? Probably not. But I have a pretty strong theory on a lot of things now after 17 years of doing nothing but studying this. So studying it from my own experience, by the way, not books. Just putting well, I would, my life uh, on the I would definitely, couch. I would definitely recommend that everybody <laughs> do psychoanalysis yes. first to, uh, to, as, a, as a coping mechanism or to figure things out. <laughs> I think that's the best thing of all. Speaking as a psychoanalytically as a psychoanalytically oriented psychotherapist, yes, I wholeheartedly endorse that. Well, and that's the point of my whole effort is to break the stigma of mental health 
and the stigma of seeking emotional counseling because we all need it. You know, everybody's working out their body, they're working their bodies out, you know, five days a week for hours at a time and years on end, but what are they doing for their emotional self? Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we're, we're certainly tutoring for SATs and we're getting 4.0s on a regular basis. You know, we're certainly making a lot of money, but what are we doing for, you know, for our, our intellectual selves? What are we doing for our emotional selves? So, um, now I know that we're going to, it's coming up to the time to take a break. Um, what I'd like you to do is to walk us through that morning when we come back from the break, uh, because I don't want okay. you to be interrupted. Um, and then to kind of take us through these steps to where, um, to how you got to where you are today. Uh, and, and, you know, with, with each, I mean, you know, it seems like obviously you're a very strong woman and, um, it seems like it would have been hard for you to open your heart or open your arms, open your mind to, um, all this, all this, uh, kindness and love and so on. Um, that people came to give you, and so, so I, and I guess that that is the or one of the big lessons of the day that you are want to share with other people. Absolutely, yes, I would love to. Well, all right. So um, we will now take a break. My uh, guest is Lisa Luckett. She is the author of a new book called "The Light in 9/11: Shocked by Kindness." Healed by Love. So stay tuned. You'll be hearing more from her. We'll be talking about 9-11, talking about healing, talking about trauma, all of it, um, as we approach uh, this year's 9-11 anniversary. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the-
the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with a wonderful guest today. Her name is Lisa Luckett. Her book, her new book, is called The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. And uh, I said that when we came back, you would take us to that morning. Um, you've given us a pretty good idea of what things were like before. Uh, so now bring us to that morning. You know, the, you know how it is, how everybody can remember. But certainly, obviously, uh, people who were intimately affected, like you were, can really remember every second. So tell us about it. Uh, absolutely. And one of the things I want to add to that, too, is in the, the premise of, of stopping and taking the time to write this book and the ones that will follow is that while I, I experienced and my family experienced what would be considered the, one of the worst situations, scenarios in 9-11, that in no way diminishes what happened to everyone else. Mm-hmm. 9-11 was a collective trauma. Yes. And the reason I can tell you that is there is not a person that I meet in my life at any time when they find out that I'm a 9-11 widow, yes. the conversation stops, and they tell me where they were, what they yes. were wearing, exactly what was happening. It is so fresh in their memory. Absolutely. And that is, Absolutely. Right? And that is why I know we haven't healed. Yes. That is why I know we have raw, you know, we have a scab over it. We've shifted, you know, we've denied it or whatever. Yes. You There's lots of ways that it's been, it's been, glossed or glazed over, but the, the wound is absolutely still present. And it's certainly present regionally um, here in the Northeast between Boston and Washington where uh, there's 50 million people. It's called the megalopolis, if you will. I just like saying that word. Um, but it also it resonates in the Midwest. It resonates on the West Coast. It resonates where you are. It resonates, you know, so it is an American tragedy because just like where were you when JFK was shot? You know, 9-11 mm-hmm. is the, the, our version of that 50 years later. So, mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. the morning, so to answer your question, um, I was, uh, my daughter was seven, had just turned seven and was starting second grade. It was the second week of school. She hadn't been feeling very well, so I let her sleep in a little, and I took her to work to a school around quarter of nine. And so I got home a little before nine o'clock, and I had my four-year-old son, Billy, with me and my little guy, Timmy, was on my shoulder. He was, you know, a baby baby, four, you know, four months old. And we were walking into the house from the car, and the phone was ringing. And I answered it, and a friend of mine said to me, Lisa, what tower is Teddy in? And I said to her, well, the one with the antenna on it. Why? And she said, and I quote, <laughs> well... Turn on the TV because a plane just hit it and took off the top 15 floors. Mm. Now, that was pretty incorrect information. Mm. Because in, she didn't ask what floor he was on. In my mind, he was dead on the ground. She just told me he was dead. Mm-hmm. So I ran into the other room, turned on the TV, and saw the buildings on fire. 
And in the window of time I was watching it with my son Billy remembers this with me. Um, we saw the second plane hit the second tower, and I knew we were in big trouble. And I also knew that Teddy was gone because he was above the fire on 105. His business offices were on 104 and 105 in the company called Cantor Fitzgerald. And Cantor mm. Fitzgerald lost 658 people. The next closest was Marsh McClellan, lost 350. Um, Aon lost 175 in the second tower. So, or South Tower. So Teddy was in the North Tower. The, the South Tower was hit a little lower. So um, I had this bizarre relief because the building was still intact, meanwhile, blazingly on fire. And I also, because he was in the attacks in 1993, those attacks, there was absolutely no smoke outside of the buildings. Mm. And he got home that night after walking down the 105 floors, and he was covered in so much soot from being just in the stairwells that long that when he took a shower, I remember sitting on the toilet talking to him and watching the water ran black for like five minutes. He was covered in so much soot. And there hadn't been any smoke in that one. Mm. So I knew when I saw that black smoke, he was gone. There was no way. And they also said they'd go to the roof. Well, there was clearly no going to the roof. But in your, that's your logical mind, right? My mind, I knew. My heart, you never give up trying. Right. So I went through all the motions. Right. Um, so did you, try to, call, did within, you try to call him? Um, I did try to call him. Um, there was no answer, and no one was called from his desk, which was, I believe, in the southwest corner. Uh, and so the plane, if you remember, it kind of went low and came up on kind of an angle, um, an upward angle, and I think it came up underneath him. Mm. And so, you know, it, it, the truth is, I believe he was asphyxiated even before there was a fire because I mm-hmm. became good friends with, the Port Authority commander that ran the cleanup of the site of the site of Ground Zero, and he told me it was over a thousand degrees within two minutes with all that jet fuel. So it sucked all the oxygen out. So rather than the visual image we have of buildings falling and the crushing stuff, I, I had I've always been more at peace with it in that way because uh-huh. it was fast, mm-hmm. it was fast, and. Um, so that, that's not something I ever dwelled on, um, and I didn't really let my mind go there very much. Um, it, there was so within, so then back to that morning, so I sat on the couch. My, my son Billy remember, remember, tells me that I was screaming, you know, Ted, 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 and stomping my feet. And next thing I knew, I was sitting on the couch with both of them in my lap, and I hadn't let go of anybody. And um, I had this unbelievable knowing that all I, I just needed to take care of my kids. And this bizarre kind of calm came over me. And while I was still in shock, I knew I had to function. Because this thing was going to be big. I knew I was in for a long game. So um, within minutes, I had people in my house. My friends, my neighbors, you know, we live in a small town. It's only a mile square. There's no busing or anything, so you ride your bike or you walk. It's kind of like Mayberry RFD. <laughs> and so everyone knows each other. So I had people just coming in my house. Within minutes, you know, the first half an hour, um, I probably had 20-plus people with me. Mm-hmm. And um, 
at one point I took a break because Timmy needed to be needed to be nursed, and I went upstairs and um, took a break. And what's interesting is I walked into my room and it was so silent and serene, and I didn't turn the television on. I just stayed quiet, and within a couple minutes, um, a friend of mine came in the room, a gentleman, and he said, Lisa, I mean, he was ashen, his face was ashen, and he said, Lisa, I can't believe Teddy's building just fell down. So we turned on my television, only to see that it was the South Tower that had fallen, not the North, Uh that it was still standing. So I had yet another oh, my gosh, he could be alive moment. Uh-huh. At that point, right, at that point, I have the stream of girlfriends of mine come into my room. Now, I've probably 15 people jammed into my room, and we're all watching this horrible scene. And within minutes, whatever minutes they were, I don't remember, we watched in silence, we all watched the North Tower fall together. Mm. And I whispered, goodbye, Teddy, I love you. Oh, God. And he was gone. And he was gone. Now, one of the things you also need to know in this story, which is included in the book, which is, this is very close to the story I tell in the book, is um, we had the worst fight of our marriage the night before he died. Uh. <laughs> and because I was so upset, just was so, I was so overwhelmed, I was so submerged by, our, by the children, I was so submerged by the bad behavior on the parts of the adults on both sides of our family that I was getting a lot of grief from his family for no reason, just being obnoxious. And um, my parents weren't helping, and I was, I, just, I was overwhelmed and very agitated and, and angry. And he came home, and, you know, I basically spewed off, and, you know, he listened to me as he always did so well, and he was, he was the yin to my yang, and Teddy made me better, and I made him better, and that's how I counsel my children. You know you're in the right relationship when you make each other better. Mm. That the part, the sum of the parts is is greater, you know, as a whole. So he listened to me, and he said after I ranted, you know, well, I'm sorry you had a bad day, honey. They just let go like ten more people. So TJ and I are the only ones left in the department mm. because he'd been living through so much turmoil at work. At the same time, I was going through my version, so we were both in these unhappy places, uh-huh. not with each other as much, but just in life. Mm-hmm. So that morning, we made up, and that was fine, and we slept in our customary spoon, and, you know, it was all good, and, you know, just being heard. People just need to be heard. We don't necessarily need things yes. to be fixed. You just need to be heard out, right? Yeah. So he was just a genius at that with me, and he just knew how to just, just, you know, not push my buttons, but, you know, offset my, my agitation in such a nice way, and so I love him, right? So anyhow... um, as he was leaving in the morning, I said to him, you know, you're my soulmate, Teddy, and, you know, I, I can't love you more. And he walked out the door, and those are the last oh, words wow. I said to him. Oh, wow. Yep. It's like a movie script. <laughs> and that's, yeah. uh, that's the honest truth. Yeah. A um, lot of drama, but, you know, but at the same time, you know, truth is always stranger than fiction, right? So, um, I mean, you can feel the morning for knowing, you can feel peace that no, knowing that you had a morning like that before this happened. Yes. And peace knowing that I had been, I had vented and I had been hurt. You know, like, if, if he had died and I had been that angry and he died, mm-hmm. that would not be good. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, I mean, we, we all need, and one of, so one of my points in this whole thing is that it's really important to choose courage, to, to do that thing that's uncomfortable instead of denying it, pretending it's going to go away, blaming somebody else, but to step into it and, and confront the situation because it's going to just sit there and fester if you don't. And it's not going to get it. It doesn't go away. The point is we all want it to go away. It doesn't go away. The only way things go away is to actually address them. You know, and I'm very grateful with that metaphor, if you will, or that example, that that's what happened with us. Because if he had gone, you know, died and, and, and I was still that angry, that would be horrible. Yes. You know, and, yeah, so... Yes, it's much you know, harder to... to it's much harder to... Um, uh, to go through mourning or to resolve grief when you, the last thing is that you're, when you're left angry at the person, it makes it almost impossible. So, yes, that was very... Right, right. Very so, I guess, right. And I'm, I don't know if I'm a real believer in closure. I don't really think closure is something I, I... I think we can bring them along with us. I don't think you ever have to say goodbye, goodbye. I mean, I've, I... I they, they never found... Any of Ted, if you will. I mean, there's 1,200 out of the 2,800, 2,900 people that were never found any remains. And mm. I'm good with that. Like, I love it. It's a little esoteric. A little ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But he's been with us, let me tell you, and absolutely with us since then. Because later that morning, as I literally watched people in my house spinning in circles, and I was in this unbelievably calm place, right? Maybe just shocked so far out I was calm that mm-hmm. I had all, I had this heightened awareness and I could see, I could see things. I could literally step away. I was like at a 10,000 foot view and I knew three things immediately. That number one, it, whatever the outcome of this was going to be, it was still could have been so much worse. Because it could have been 12.30 in the afternoon like it was in the bombings in 93, and those buildings could be full of people instead of a quarter of nine, nine o'clock when people were still getting into work. Mm-hmm. One. Number two, that it was going to be two years until it was any kind of new normal. That this was going to be the long, as I say, the long game. This was putting, I had to put my head down and go. And I had had this really crazy job in my radio career that was like prioritizing fire after fire after fire and for months on end until I would finally get a break and I could catch my breath and then I would go right back in. It was just this really demanding, very intense, very busy job. Well, that's what 9 So it prepared me to handle 9-11. Mm-hmm. So what am I... So and then the third thing was that our world had just shifted on its axis. Like it would change forever. And I knew it instantly. I think with everyone looking back can say that. But I was already in that mindset. You know, and, my, so, and I could be in that mindset because I had this weird preparation. So the way I describe it is I went in on the offensive position. Uh-huh. Right? The best defense is a good offense. Instead of being shocked, 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 right, teetering on the edge of the abyss, you know, almost tipping in to that, wherever that is, whatever that abyss leads to, you know, on the edge, I was like 10 feet back. And my feet were firmly planted. And the analogy I use is I was like a weevil. Like I wobbled, but I didn't fall down. I was steady and stable. And it was because I'd been prepared. 
Yes, so I have this you, had a, you right? had a higher calling, which was taking care of your three children. Yes, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. you had to be strong for them. Right, right. You know, and, and strong people, you know, I, I want to say to all the people out there listening, you know, strong people are not necessarily born strong. We're strong because we've weathered a lot. And most strong people are very sensitive. Most strong people have had to, had to really, you know, pick themselves up and dust themselves off. And the yeah. difference is, you know, that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. So, so I, I believe that everyone is strong. I believe anyone facing trauma, you're, you're going to get through it. If you, if you just stay in the day and you take one thing at a time and you don't make it worse, by giving yourself a hard time that you're not thinking about that person every second of the day. Because nature made me numb. I had this lovely numbness for on and off for years before I still get it. You know, I, I had a cancer diagnosis in 2009. And you know what? After the first hour, I was numb. Because you don't, nature doesn't pile it on. It gives you a break. Mm-hmm. But I had witnessed my in-laws, who had lost their father early, just constantly... I don't know, I mean, there's only negative words to use for it, but just kind of nursing that, that, that death and just making, defining themselves by that loss mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. making it worse than it was, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But I, well, you know, so, <laughs> not well, just me, but, you know, anyway. Well, let me, it, it, see, we're at the, um, we're at the time of our sure. uh, another second break. So as much as I don't want to take it, and I want to continue hearing you talk, um, but we do need to take a break. And my guest, again, is Lisa Luckett. She is the author of The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. We're talking, of course, about 9-11 as we approach it. We're talking about trauma and um, how to be strong in the face of trauma, which is um, something, a lesson that Lisa has, is teaching us in her book. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today with a wonderful guest named Lisa Luckett. Um, her book is called The Light in 9-11. It just came out. It's, it's The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. And, um, you know, we were, you were just starting to talk about this uh, during the break. I mean, yes, um, there are not everybody... <laughs> who is a family member of someone who was died or who died or was injured or um in 9/11 not everyone uh has such a positive um uh outlook as you do and um so how have you been sort of negotiating that over the years how have you been de- you know, you want to see i mean i can tell anytime i mention something about um you know we should be concer- we should never forget i mean here's the thing um last year my book came out um last year on essentially the anniversary of 9/11 and i did a launch at the uh new york city fire museum and then i did a launch a little later in the month last september at the uh at the national press club and um and so I was in New York, I went to the two museums, the whole nine yards. And um, there, it, it, I, was, I was also very aware of the, the media coverage of it. And um, really pretty shocked, as I started to mention at the beginning, that other than the fact that, yes, the um, memorial is always covered, the people at Ground Zero saying their loved ones' names, um, but other than that, there was so little uh, coverage and so little coverage particularly about like what caused 9-11 that it was, I found it rather alarming. And, um, and you know, I've, I've, this is actually my second book about uh, terrorism and so for my, for, I've been doing research and so on for, you know, and, and uh, for years and as well as, you know, helping people who were both in London from, from their 7-7 and then our 9-11, helping people who were involved in these tragedies. And so, um, so it's really, um, it really is, it bothers me a lot when there isn't enough or when I see a diminishing. Do you know that um, some colleges ha- are, there's a group of, of college students who every year, send out posters and help other college students all over America do events to memorialize 9-11. And two years ago, well, they started this in 2003 because they saw that the colleges weren't doing enough. And some colleges, like in 2016 and then this year, 
haven't been allowing them to put their posters up there, never forget posters. Now, you know, because, oh, and they said it's because they don't want to hurt the feelings of the Muslim students going to the colleges. So there's Oof. all this kind of political correctness. There are all these different things, really the denial, not wanting to believe, as I was saying, that this kind of thing could happen again. And it just really bothers me that these things kind of mar or detract or diminish um, what should be much more of a serious um, and, and, you know, concentrated day where there's more attention paid to it in whatever way, whatever way people want to memorialize, go to their church or their temple, go to light a candle, plant a flower, whatever people want to do, but they should be doing something. My feeling 17 years later is that the reason I believe that not much is being done anymore is because no one's thought of a new story. So when you say, like, why 9-11 happened, well, it's, it's a pretty simple story why 9-11 happened, at least the story we've been told, right? The terrorists, they hated us, they got in planes, and they flew them into the buildings. You know, and it was an attack on capitalism, it was an attack on democracy, and it was an attack on, a, you know, a macro level, a micro level, you know, but have we as Americans stopped to say, like, what do we look like to them? You know, and, you know, have we stopped to consider any other points of view? Just to consider them, not saying they're right, but just to think it through at a new level, because I believe right now, never forget, in my opinion, never forget means never forget the love and grace that followed it. Not never forget being attacked by people that hated us. That doesn't do anybody any good. That's just perpetuating the fear. Well, so maybe I we need never to just forget, never, forget, never forget, but never forget in a different way. I think what they mean... Like that's what you're saying. I think they mean never forget the people who died or the people who were injured or the families who were hurt by, the, you know, by losing people and so on. No, I, I know, I know, but I don't think... I think the reason it's not being commemorated is because it's a dead end. Because it's not taking us anywhere. And we are in, an, we are in a change in our world. We are a global world. And 9-11 happened eight years after the onset of the Internet. And John Stewart, the comedian, you know, from The Daily Show, said it so well. 9-11 put CNN on the map. Hmm. Because before 9-11, 24-hour news was kind of like, 24-hour news? Like, why do we need that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so what happened is now you have manufacturing of news. Nothing better than a little terrorism. Nothing better than a hurricane. You know, so as a result, but what I do is I look out the window every day and guess what the sun still comes up and it happened I remember being very cognizant of that in the days that followed 9-11 of how spectacular the weather was spectacular uh-huh. we didn't have a drop of rain or a cloud for six weeks here while they cleaned up that site I mean if they had, had rain and bad weather I mean it would have been miserable even like but it was literally sparkling blue and clear as a bell and perfect temperature so in a way there was, there was this strange you know beauty if you wanted to look at it that way. So my whole point is that I think I, I hear you because we want to keep it alive so that we re- remember to be better, right? I mean, I feel like that's ultimately where I, I hope to go and that I'm growing all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm being a wise counsel to my children when things bad happen to them. How will we better handle it so that we recover more quickly and that we have a new dimension of thinking? and that we have new understanding and compassion. Yes. Um, you know, well, when 9-11 happened, I mean, I was all, I, I'm born and raised in New York City, 
Um, but when I, so I was already in California when 9-11 happened. Uh, my daughter was in school in New York City. Um, but, and that is when I asked myself, I don't remember if we talked about this before, but I asked myself um, what I could do as a psychiatrist to help the world because, as you said, uh, yes, the world completely changed. That was the day that the world changed. We have never been, we will never be the same. And, um, and so I asked myself what I could do to help the world in this new state, and that's when I decided to um, become essentially what I call the, uh, ter- the terrorist therapist and to do things, write books, help people individually, one-on-one, do uh, speaking, do media interviews, do... Um, I did a, 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 an audio-video program for airplanes because people were freaked out on airplanes. You know, all these different kinds of things. And so I, um, that is what I have been concentrating on since then. So it did change my life as well because, because, um, because I felt, I mean, I wasn't going to join the Army. <laughs> and I feel like, I felt and I feel like we have to... Uh, each of us, not only do we have to become more resilient and become better, each of us individually and more spiritual and all of that, but we also have to be more aware and more protective and more um, appreciative of what a wonderful country we live in and how it could, our freedoms and, and everything could be smashed in, in just minutes. That's right. So that's, so exactly. So you and I are in, are, are in parallel on this and that, you know, it's just looking at it, we agree that we need to learn from this and that to be, we're here to learn. If we are on this planet, this beautiful, incredible mothership, you know, to have this experience, we're here actually, I believe, for contrast. We're here for the struggle because we don't learn when things are good. We learn when things are hard. And instead of shying away from that struggle, instead of, you know, recoiling from it, instead of medicating it, denying it, pushing it away, but actually leaning into it. It's always less difficult than we think it's going to be, right? Because anticipation and expectations are always worse. Look at what I lived with with Ted. The story of, and I want to back up for a second, the story of that morning being prepared like that, I never in a million years expected all the love and kindness to come showering in on me in the wake of this tragedy. And it was so powerful that it literally lifted me and held me buoyant and allowed me to be in my individual space so I could heal, so that I could heal for my children and we could take Teddy Ford toward this beautiful future we can have together. And that was given to me in that experience. And what did you do with, so you had three children, all different ages. Of course, your baby didn't really understand in a, in a verbal kind of sense what was going on, but... Um, you know, he felt it, but uh, how did you how did you yeah. deal with that? How did you um, comfort them? What did you do for them? Well, they're little, right? So they're in their little egocentric bubbles. They couldn't really understand that Daddy wasn't coming home ever again. My daughter was seven, so she was more under, and, you know certainly more aware. But even at four, my son Billy has a lot of memory of it. I mean, four year olds can remember a lot. But at the same time, they were still in their little bubbles, their little egocentric bubbles. So as long as they were okay, you know, life was okay until they became teenagers. But the reason, and we really need to get to this, and I know we're running out of time, is because the, honestly, the, the reason that I'm here having this conversation with you today is because 
within weeks, not even days of 9-11, I vowed that I would make something good come from this. And the only mm-hmm. way I could do it was figure it out, which is the only way I could do it was get on the analyst's couch, right? We talked about that. Well, I, it was the single greatest thing I've ever done because I never fit in the first place. I had been misunderstood, and I was misunderstanding my entire life. I'd been bullied, battered around from an alcoholic dysfunctional family, you know, and that's the whole point of telling the story is that getting there and to, to analysis, different from therapy. Analysis, I look at it because you're actually figuring something out. You're analyzing. And it's not a, an onion. There's not nearly enough layers in an onion. It's a, a huge ball of twine or string. that You're peeling each memory back. And it's fascinating to study your life. It's the most fascinating thing in the world. And it's not about blame. And it's not about pointing fingers. It's about figuring out why. And that, oh, literally, that motivation kept me going and still keeps me going. I'm still there. It's, it's fantastic. Well, you know, you're going to have to come on the show another time so we can get more into that because I'm just hearing the uh, music and I can't believe that the time is up. But I want you to, um, uh, yeah. I want you to tell people... I mean, I'm sure the book is sold wherever books are sold, but where would you like people to go? I know one thing um, that I looked at that was amazing was your TEDx talk. Do you, but do you, is there a, um, a website that you want people to go to? Sure, of course. That's the one fun thing. We all have websites now. So right. if you want to go to the new website for the book, it's called lisaluckett.com. And Luckett is L-U-C-K-E-T-T, so LisaLuckett.com. And it has the TED Talk on it, and it has my new book and an excerpt from it and ways to buy it through Amazon. It is in some local Barnes and Nobles. Um, unlike you, who sounds like you have a traditional publisher, I am an independently published book. I published it under my new company. Uh, it's my company, my brand of kindness, which is called Cosmina. So we have it, Cosmina Enlightened Publishing now. So I hope to open up an arm of, of the company to publish independently for other enlightened authors. So you well, know, it's, all kind of fun. it's part of the game. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, that sounds great. Uh, again, that's lisaluckett.com, L-I-S-A-L-U-C-K-E-T-T.com. Uh, and again, the name of the book is called The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. So thank you so much, Lisa. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 